Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, good morning to everyone watching in, either live or on demand. It's lovely to come, be able to share the word of the Lord with you this morning. And if you've been tracking with Emmaus for a little while, you will have realised that we're kind of between series at the moment. So just before Easter, we had our six-week series, uh, God Unmute, looking at this question of unanswered prayer. That landed in Resurrection Sunday a couple of weeks ago. And then last week we, we heard from Scott and Misty Bauer and did a bit of kind of family business around that. The next Sunday, you've already heard, we're going to be going into Vision Sunday. Do log into that as we share the vision for the church in the next year. Uh, and then after that, we're going to be starting a brand new series looking at the life of Joseph. Looking at the life of Joseph, we, we really feel as a team that the Lord has got some lessons for us in the life of Joseph as we come out of lockdown. So we're going to be looking at some of the themes in his life. Questions of how do you find your calling? Questions of character when life is hard. Looking at how we, we step out and Joseph's call that to come out and to save many, to step out to the famine in the land. And so do, uh, do tune in in a couple of weeks time. May 2nd we'll be launching that. But it means that this Sunday we're kind of in between series. And so uh, I've kind of got free reign a little bit to, to speak from anywhere in the Bible. And so I've been spending some time praying and I really feel like the Lord has given me a word for us as a church this morning. And, um, and I'm going to be sharing with you from 1 Peter. 1 Peter. And in this letter that Peter is writing to a church suffering intense persecution, he uses this phrase which has kind of compelled me over the last few weeks. And it's this phrase around living hope, living hope. And, um, and you will know that hope has been this kind of consistent theme that as a church we've been pushing into over the last year. If you come and tune into Vision Sunday next week, you'll hear a lot about hope. Claire earlier mentioned about her being able to respond in the live stream and broadcast the Christian message of hope. But what is Christian hope? What is Christian hope really? What is the thing that we're called to hang on to? And I feel like 1 Peter answers this question really well. But then he also has this audacity to this church suffering intense persecution to say not only are you able to have hope in a context of suffering, but it is actually into this context, it's into the place of suffering that God uses that moment to catalyse and grow hope in your life. So how does he do that? And that is the question that we're going to explore today. So if you have your Bibles there, would you please turn with me to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. And we're going to be reading from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this you greatly rejoice, 
though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so I'm sure many of you would have been tracking the story on the news But on the 23rd of March, the Suez Canal, this vital artery that connects the Mediterranean to the Red Sea, was entirely blocked by a boat so large that it got itself stuck on both sides of the canal. The Ever Given was four or is 400 metres long and it was carrying 18,300 shipping containers, meaning that it weighed roughly 200,000 tonnes. It took an army of cranes and tugboats six days to finally move it 30 degrees and refloat it again. Lloyd's list estimate that something like $9.6 billion of trade were lost every day from travelling down the canal while it was blocked. And so, as always with news stories like this, the internet quickly got to work creating memes about what had happened. I think the primary way that millennials process the news is through memes and GIFs. And so you would have seen them, I'm sure, but I actually came across this one that's going to appear on your screen now. And um, obviously it's a little bit satire, it's tongue-in-cheek, but as I saw it, I thought there's actually something really poignant in it. This picture of this little crane with this vast 200,000-tonne ship doing its best to just try and move a little bit of soil. And I'm sure in this past year, even though there is change on the horizon, we look out and we see the sun, there's the news of vaccines, there's shops reopening, there's hope. But at the same time, we know that we've still got a distance to go. And I'm sure all of us at times when we felt like it was going to change, but the tunnel kept feeling longer and longer and darker and darker over the last year, we felt like that little crane, unsure what to do in relation to everything that we see on our doorstep and on our news around the world. And so what has this got to do with one Peter? Well, This letter written by Peter is 20 to 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we we celebrated, we remembered the day that Jesus came out of the grave. And so this, this letter is being written by the Apostle Peter as he has kind of stepped in and processed that truth and become a pastor. A pastor to all these Christians in these churches that were suffering intense persecution at the hands of the Roman Empire. And as we read through it, we hear words like trial, words like grief and loss and suffering. And these are the words that we've all become very familiar with over the last year. And so Pastor Peter sits down and he tries to write a letter that helps to encourage and bring hope back to this church. And actually what we've just read, that whole 
piece of scripture, three to nine, in the original Greek is just one long run-on sentence. It's like an English teacher's worst nightmare. It's just, no, so all the, the grammar that you've seen put in there, uh, people who have translated the Bible have tried to put that in to bring some sense to it. But you just get this picture of Peter sitting down and this thing just comes pouring out of him to try and encourage this church that he loves. Because it's one long run-on sentence, we, it can be hard for us to understand exactly what Peter's saying. But basically, in trying to answer this question, how do you sustain your faith through suffering? How do you sustain your faith through suffering? Just like that little crane, feeling like that. The first place that Jesus goes, the first place, sorry, that Peter goes, is to the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. And so as we, a couple of weeks after Easter, what is it that the resurrection of Jesus can do for us to bring hope back into our lives? Well, I think to understand that, we need to think a little bit more around this person, Peter, who is authoring this letter. Peter is the man who uh, gave up his, his fishing business, left his life to follow this person, Jesus. For three years, he lived with him. He he, he journeyed with him, he ate with him, he, he spent all of his time with him until one fateful day he saw the empire come and take Jesus away. He saw him hang him on a cross and he saw him die. And in that moment he saw his hopes and his dreams die with him. For two days he sat in a room overcome by loss and grief and hopelessness as he processed everything that had happened. But then on the third day, but then on Sunday, he watched Jesus walk back out of the grave. And he talked to him and he shared breakfast with him. He saw himself be forgiven by him and redeemed by him. Peter, the person writing this letter, had that first-hand experience of the moment in which the hinge of history happened and death forever lost its sting. And it changed everything for Peter. And now 20 years later, he is saying that that moment, that truth, comprehending that moment will immerse you into a deep, profound, living, living hope. Well, why and how? Well, what is it that, what is hope and, and how does hope operate in our lives? Well, I would like to suggest to you that our deepest hope is ultimately the thing that we orientate our lives around. It's our deep longing of what we think that our future could become. And that can be all sorts of things, right? It could be money or a nice house. It could be popularity or fame. It could be a spouse or a marriage or kids. Or it could be all sorts of things. But it's that, it's that thing that you picture in the future that you really want to come true. And it becomes the gravitational centre that your whole life orbits around. And so therefore, the decisions that we make today and the way that we handle the situations that life throws at us are all defined by what we hope will happen, what we hope our lives will move towards. And this was true of Peter. 
And this is why his life was so profoundly transformed when Jesus rose from the dead, overcoming death itself. It was because for Peter, he realised that his deepest hope for humanity was bigger and greater and more glorious than he could have ever imagined. On that day, after the hopelessness of Sunday, he realised that the whole universe was redefined because Jesus rose again from the dead. And it redefined, it increased, it magnified Peter's deepest hope. And what Peter is saying is that the very same thing can happen to you. He's saying that as we begin to get our heads around this, what will well up in us is a living, powerful, dynamic hope. And in fact, he says that this hope will be so overwhelming, so transforming, such a powerful force in our lives that it will change the very fabric of who we are as a human being. And that's why he says that the only way to describe what could happen to you is a second birth. Such a fundamental change to the fabric of who you are that it's like being born again, a new birth for a new human being. Living hope, that changes everything. But luckily for us, Peter doesn't just leave it there. He doesn't just leave it as this kind of ethereal thing. He goes on to explain what he means with two metaphors. One is about what hope is like, and the other is about how it grows in our lives. And then he ends very simply with saying how we can activate it. And he does all this in one very long sentence. So the first thing that he says, the first metaphor he uses, is that he likens this hope to an inheritance. He says that this hope is a treasure that is already given to you, but it is stored and kept safe in heaven. And that one day you will, you will receive it. And the thing that he really focuses on about this inheritance, about this treasure, is that it is invincible. It is an invincible inheritance. See, in verse 4 it says, Nothing can cause it to perish, to fade, or to spoil. And sometimes I feel like that can feel a little bit like far away, a little bit like distance. Like, what does that really mean for us now? How does that speak in today? How does that change me tomorrow? Well, think about the people that Peter is writing to. People who were suffering and losing everything. These people were facing loss. They were facing imprisonment. They were facing separation from family. They were mourning. They were grieving. They were suffering even death of their loved ones. Things that so many of us have suffered this year as well. And ultimately, these people were losing the things that they had hoped in. And so Peter's words speak directly into that. And they say, although you may lose things now, although you may lose everything now, the least that you will ever be left with is a glorious inheritance stored up for you in heaven. The least you will ever have, because Jesus died on the cross, is greater than you could have ever imagined. That's the least. It doesn't mean that everything should be 
happy, clappy Christians all the time. In fact, Peter is saying the opposite. He says, even in the context of the resurrection, Peter is deeply honest about the pain that we all experience. In fact, in verse 6, when he says that you will suffer grief, he uses the exact same word for Jesus' suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane when he sweat blood. Peter is brutally honest about the pain that we experience. But as we live on this side of the resurrection, what Peter is saying is that although we suffer, we are never condemned to a place of hopelessness. We never reach that place. There is no bottom of the barrel for us as Christians anymore. And therefore, the resurrection profoundly changes the relationship between pain and sorrow, between, sorry, sorrow and joy in our lives. They are no longer at odds with one another, competing for space in our lives. We can experience both simultaneously because they're not defined by the same earthly circumstance. We can suffer now, but still hold on to an inexpressible joy because we have this invincible inheritance. Let me carry on the kind of nautical theme that we started to explain a little bit around what I mean. I want you to imagine kind of an old, big, wooden ship, you know, like kind of Pirates of the Caribbean-style ship, and it's lost in the vast expanse of the ocean. I want you to picture it. Imagine yourself on the deck. The sun is beating down. The water and the food is nearly gone. The rations are up. And as you look around, the ship left to right, starboard and whatever the other one is, other than starboard, I'm not a nautical man myself, but you look around and everywhere you see is nothing but barrenness and blue. You can feel the kind of dryness of your lips, desperate for water, the salt in the air. But everywhere you look is is barrenness. Now, I want you to imagine the same ship in the same situation, but you pick up the, the periscope and you look out, and suddenly there's this hazy shape in the distance of a harbour of a safe haven, of a feast, of home. How different do those two people react in that same situation? And what Peter is saying is that as a Christian, you will never look out and see barrenness. There will always be the promise of paradise on the horizon. And as we mentioned before, our deepest hope is the thing that we orientate our lives around. It's that thing in the future that we long for, that we hope for, that we strive towards. And so what Peter is saying is that our distant hope is unimaginably wonderful and it is guaranteed. And that promise does something to who you are as a human. It changes everything. It is a new birth into this living, dynamic hope that we always have. And we don't talk about heaven enough. I think in an instant gratification society of microwave pizza and next day delivery, we shortchange the promise of eternity to come. But we are eternity people. 
the Bible says that God has put eternity into the hearts of mankind. And therefore we are called to think on it and dwell on it and remember this glorious inheritance that God is protecting for us up in heaven. And allow it to change the very fabric of who we are. So that's the first thing, the first metaphor that Peter's saying. We have this invincible inheritance. And then secondly, he talks about how this grows, how this promise grows in our lives. And he uses the metaphor of a blacksmith. And he talks about this refining fire. This refining fire. And um, at this point, I want to let you in. No, I want to let you into a little secret. I actually have a chemistry degree. And um, you would be surprised to know that very rarely serves me in my preaching endeavours. And so allow me for a moment to savour this, this chemistry where my two worlds overlap for a second. Because what is, um, what is pure gold? This thing that Peter talks about, this pure gold that comes out of a refining fire. Well, the way that you get pure gold is that you dig up gold ore, right? So it's gold that's in the earth, that's in rock. But as you dig it up, it's, it's all kind of this, this rock that you get, this ore has got gold in it, but it's also got veins of rock and dirt, and it comes out kind of all compromised. And so the only way to remove the gold from it is that you subject it to intense fire. And you have to, give the, you have to get the, hot, the, the fire hot enough that everything melts. And then basically in this melting pot, what happens is that the gold, the pure gold, drops to the bottom. And then all the impurities, the rock and everything, comes to the top. And then you come along and you can kind of siphon it off. And what's left with is, is pure gold. And so interestingly, Peter is saying that the exact same process happens in our lives. There is something about the fire that causes a change in us. And what is the fire? Well, it's what Peter's been talking about the whole time. It's about what these people are facing. It's about what we have been and are facing. It's about trials. And it's about suffering and pain. And somehow God, in his wisdom, pulls this sort of judo move where he uses that thing that was meant to destroy us to create something of pure gold in who we are. Well, how does that relate to hope? Well, what I think Peter is doing here is he's demonstrating how suffering exposes the places in our lives where we have put hope, put our deepest hope into people and places other than Jesus. It's the weaning off of worldly hopes that bring us back into having our deepest hope in Jesus. That's what suffering does, isn't it? It threatens the things. It threatens our deepest hopes and our deepest longings, whatever they are. And interestingly, we know that. We know that God is a God who helps us to find purpose in the pain. This refining fire is this kind of consistent motif through the Bible. Every great biblical hero suffered something that God used to prepare them for the favour that he had for them. And after Vision Sunday, as I mentioned, we're going to be looking at Joseph. And obviously this is so true of Joseph's, Joseph's life. 
being sold, trafficked into slavery, being betrayed by Potiphar's wife. We're going to learn about those are the very things that God uses to create the character in Joseph for what he goes on to do. Because Jesus takes that which threatened to destroy you and uses it to propel you into the purposes of God as we put our deepest hope back into Jesus. So my question for you this morning is that whatever you have suffered this year, maybe whatever you continue to suffer now, what is it that comes to the surface when you go through the fire? Where have you placed your hope? Where have you orientated your life around things that could potentially be taken away? And those might be good things that we are called and gifts of God for us to enjoy. Family, calling, whatever. But the only true anchor is the person of Jesus. And paradoxically, this is actually the thing that allows us to love the people in our lives better. When we are free to stop burdening them with being our deepest source of hope, we actually find the freedom the freedom to love them more deeply while holding them more loosely. You would have heard a few weeks ago, um, as Hannah shared in our God Unmute series around this time last year and everything that we were going through with her health and her lung condition. And I remember praying to God really clearly. I prayed to God many times about it and was praying that he would heal her, that he would take this thing away. And um, I really remember really clearly God speaking to me as I was praying. And he said something that changed me. He said, Adam, you keep praying that I would take you out of it. But you've never prayed that I would make something beautiful of you in it. Now, hear me and don't get me wrong. It is not wrong to pray for healing. I kept praying for Hannah's healing. I keep praying for Hannah's complete healing. And I will keep praying for Hannah's complete healing. But it also gave me a chance to see that there was a purpose in the pain of it all. I realised that I had an opportunity there to review in my heart where Hannah maybe had taken the place that Jesus was in my life. My deepest hope, my deepest longing that Jesus could use this to draw me further into his heart, further into love with Jesus, even in amongst the pain of it all. I remember chatting to a a fisherman who owns a big lake, and and he, he tends to this lake and people come and fish there, and he was talking me through nature and the way that the different seasons affected the nature around this lake. And he was talking and he said something that stuck with me. And he was saying how only when you have a bitter winter are you ready for the abundance of summer. And he was talking to me about how actually a really deep cold winter, as unpleasant as it is, it kills all of the weeds and things in nature which don't have deep roots whereas all the things that do have deep roots can survive the bitter winter. But the problem is, if you don't have a very cold winter, it's not cold enough to kill off these weeds that grow. And then when the resource and the abundance of summer arrives, if they haven't died out, then they just grow exponentially and they choke the life out of all the good stuff that you had planned. 
And I think that Peter's sort of saying the same thing here. He's saying that there is an invitation even in the pain to allow the weeds, to allow the the misappropriated hopes in our lives to be challenged and to die out so that when the abundance of summer comes, it doesn't choke the life out of the good things that he has promised for us. And so this is the living hope. And finally, and it's that big question, like how do we activate it? So we've, we've heard that it's an invisible, in, uh, sort of an invincible inheritance. We've seen how God uses the places in our lives to draw us back into our deep hope on Jesus. But finally, like how do we activate it? How do we activate this living hope that is so powerful that it redefines who we are as humans? Well, it's really simple, and Pete answers that question for us in verse 8. You love him, and though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled. You love him, and though you do not see him, you believe in him and are filled. It's simply Jesus. It's loving and it's believing in the person and the promise of Jesus. And that isn't meant to be wish-washy. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Hope is inextricably linked to what we love. And so Peter is saying, orientate your lives intentionally position your lives around falling more in love with the person of Jesus. And what you will find is this living hope welling up inside of you. And how do you fall in love? Well, it's time. Committed, devoted time in his presence. In prayer and in worship, in his scriptures, filling your mind with what he's done and who he is. You love him, and though you do not see him, you believe in him, and you are filled with a living hope. And so I'm going to pray for us. If, um, if something, anything of this has stirred in you, that there is a prayer ministry team that are available to you now, um, you just go onto a Zoom link. There's going to be one appearing in the chat right now. We have some people who would love to pray for you. Love to pray if you love people to pray for this sense of this living hope to well up inside of you, that God in your life would pull this judo move and use whatever maybe you have suffered to create in you this powerful, dynamic, living hope. There are people there that would love to pray for you. But for the rest of us, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand back to Mike and Jazz. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday. Lord Jesus, we apologise. We repent for the times we so often move on from Easter Sunday. We get on with our lives and we forget that that moment changed everything for everyone everywhere. And just as Peter says here, Lord Jesus, I pray for us that you would help us to be radically transformed by what happened that day. That death lost its sting. That you are storing up for us a paradise and an inheritance in eternity. And Lord Jesus, would that change who we are? 
We're expectant for this new birth, Lord Jesus, that we would be possessed by this living hope. We would be the people of hope in a hopeless world. And so we thank you, Jesus. We love you. Even though we don't see you, we love you, we believe in you, and we pray that today we will be filled. Amen. Amen.